0: Well, good morning one community church family and friends i was glad when they said unto me let us come into the house of the lord even though we are scattered abroad all across the city this state this nation maybe even globally thank you for tuning in and i just want to stop by and give a word of encouragement but let me just begin by expressing and affirming my appreciation Uh, to your pastor one of my dear friends Dr. Conway Edwards I don't use that phrase dear friends lightly Uh, I don't think a single week goes by in which we don't uh, communicate in some way shape or form uh, either via phone call or text and I'm a better person uh, because of uh, the leadership and the friendship of dr conway edwards and so right now uh if you are on your your phone your tablet your computer wherever you may be uh, you might just want to give a hand clap emoji if your life has been blessed in any way by the ministry of Dr. Conway Edwards. I also want to give a shout out to to his wife, an anointed woman of God, Jada Edwards, all across this country. Uh, Jada is being used by God. In fact, our own church uh, is excited to have her for our women's conference coming up in a couple of months. And the ladies are just so looking forward to that. Finally, let me just say by way of introduction, Uh, I don't think you really understand, for those of you who are part of the One Community Church family, uh, really your place uh, in our nation and even world. God has positioned this church for such a time as this. And so many times we can just get caught up in the familiar uh, that unintentionally we don't develop a full robust appreciation ...for how God is using the leadership he's uh, gifted to us and even the church. But I need you to know that there are a lot of churches out there... ...and I don't say this in a belittling way at all... uh, ...that have a community call. Churches who are planted and placed right in that community... ...and God uses them significantly to advance his kingdom right there in their locale. Other churches have a regional call that, that goes past the specific community. But I believe that one community church has a national and even a global call on this ministry. All across this country and world, lives are being changed through one community church. So it is with that thought in mind that I am just so grateful and so thankful to be here. And I've come uh, all the way to just give you a word of encouragement. And that word is tucked away in Hebrews chapter 12. So if you can just get your Bibles and just uh, navigate your way to Hebrews chapter 12, pick me up in verse 25. Throughout this message, you'll hear me, hear me constantly say the writer of Hebrews. Uh, I won't say his name or her name. It's because we don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. There's some great guesses. Some say Paul, others say Barnabas, and the list goes on and on. So you're going to hear me say the writer of Hebrews again because we don't know exactly who wrote it. But pick me up in Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 25. Again, just a quick word of encouragement, and I'm out your way. The writer says these words, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice, now underline this word, shook the earth but now he has promised yet once more I will here it is again shake not only the earth but also the heavens this phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken there's that word again In other words, whenever we go through seasons of shaking, they are not random or haphazard or coincidental. He is refining us. He is removing those things from our lives that don't look like Him, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, And thus, let us offer to God, underline this phrase, not just worship, but acceptable worship, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Will you pray with me? Now God, would you just stand in my body, think with my mind, speak with my tongue? Would you allow me to deposit, Lord God, into these people who are, again, scattered abroad, A word of encouragement during these unprecedented, troublesome times. Father, in the name of Jesus, would you be so delighted as to save someone's soul and to strengthen those, Lord God, who who feel weak or discouraged in such a time as this. Use me to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. There's a word that you should have noticed that keeps on popping up. It's the word shook or shaken or shake. In the original language of this text, the author of the book of Hebrews, he's not writing uh, in English. He's actually writing in Greek. And the Greek word for shook or shake or shaken is the same Greek word that shows up in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, a guy by the name of Paul and his ministry colleague Silas, they are sitting in a jail cell incarcerated in Philippi when round about midnight an earthquake sets them free that greek word for earthquake is the same greek word that is used in our text translated as shook or shake or shaken it is a violent unsettling kind of a shaking that upsets the normal kind of paradigms and patterns of life now i've been in california i've lived there for for a lot of time and anyone who's lived for a consistent amount of time in California, inevitably, you will experience an earthquake. Now, if I had my choice of natural disasters, if I had to pick one, an earthquake would be at the very end of the list. Why is that? Any other kind of natural disaster will give you a heads up before it comes. You can forecast the tornado. You can forecast the hurricane. You can forecast the flood, but you can't forecast an earthquake. An earthquake just comes out of nowhere. Watch it now. And it disturbs our assumptions. The very thing that we just assume would hold us up the ground. The very thing we don't even think about. We just assume for stability. All of a sudden we can't rely on anymore. And there is nowhere else to go. Earthquakes upset our assumptions, they disturb our, 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 whatever we've been looking to for hope and stability. Earthquakes shake us. Earthquakes rattle us. Earthquakes disturb us. I'm here to tell you 2020 has been a proverbial earthquake. We have been going through a season of shaking. The main kind of season of shaking we're in is, is simply COVID-19. As of right now, over 13 million individuals have been infected with this virus. Right now, in these here United States of America, over 600,000 individuals have lost their lives. At the time in which I'm giving this message, it feels like we are in the middle of a second wave. And COVID-19 has been a proverbial earthquake that has touched and colored and shaken every single nook and cranny of our lives. The things that we just assumed coming into 2020 have been turned, flipped upside down. For many of you, maybe it's been your job. Some of you maybe have lost your jobs or, or you've been furloughed because of the shaking season that we're in due to the pandemic. Uh, others of you, the way you work has been totally transformed. You're, you're used to fighting traffic and going to a job. Now you're working from home. I, I'm sitting here at this moment in a, in, in a church auditorium that has only a handful of people because this pandemic has shaken the way we actually do church. Others of us, our health has been shaken or the health of our loved ones have been shaken. Every single nook and cranny of our lives has been disturbed by the pandemic, the earthquake called COVID. Ah, but there's another kind of shaking going on. Imagine I came to you on December 31st, 2019. And I said to you, there's going to be a worldwide global pandemic that is going to totally uh, kind of redirect how we do life. But in the middle of that pandemic, there will be a six-week stretch when no one will even think about or talk about the pandemic because of another kind of shaking known as racial unrest. In the middle of all this, we saw how our hearts were gripped. When a young man simply jogging in South Georgia named Ahmad Arbery was gunned down. A little while later, a woman sleeping in her own house, Brianna Taylor, is killed in her own home. And then who can forget George Floyd, our dear brother, handcuffed behind his back, face down in the prone position, right there on the asphalt, knee on his neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds as three other cops look away. This now causes a shaking in our society. And I really believe this is a tipping point. As never before I have felt white empathy and advocacy, I feel as if we are on on the precipice of experiencing some real transformation and change in our society because that's what shaking does. We're in the middle of a shaking. And here is the writer of Hebrews. He is writing to people who, just like us, are going through their own proverbial earthquake. Here are individuals who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and yet since following Jesus, life for them has not gotten better. On some levels, it's gotten worse. How is this so, Pastor? In Hebrews chapter 10, he tells us, he says, I understand since coming to Christ, some of you, you've lost your property. Others of you, you've been thrown in jail. Others of you, you've lost money. Others of you, you've been persecuted. Following Jesus Christ has brought about a shaking. That's why, if I can just pause, I want to correct some of our theology. We have to be careful about who speaks into our spirits. There's this name it and claim it, confess it and possess it, nab it and grab it theology that says if you give your life to Jesus Christ, you'll never go through any problems or heartaches or troubles. And if you do, it's because you did something wrong. It makes you wonder what Bible are they reading? They must cut out the whole book of Job. Here's a man who's described as being perfect and upright. They must cut out the life of Jesus Christ, perfect in his own life, and yet he dies on an old rugged cross. They must cut out the teachings of Paul when Paul said to Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, not might be, not could be, but will be persecuted, Christians go through problems, but the difference between Christians and the world is that when we go through problems, we never go through it alone. We have a person who walks with us and talks with us along life's narrow way. I hear David say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. But nevertheless... The Hebrews are going through a shaking, and they are at the point, watch it now, where they're saying, this Jesus stuff ain't working out. I'm going to give up. I'm going to let go and go back to my proverbial Egypt, the old way of doing things. Ever been there? Ah, Y'all too spiritual. Y'all too spiritual down here in Texas. But I think two or three of us know what it's like. We may not articulate it with our mouth, but we've thought it in our souls. Maybe even in 2020, you, you said, Listen, this ain't working out. I, I've been tithing and serving in church and giving of my life. Especially, I do that at one community church where, 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 where I work extra hard on top of my full time job. And yet, it seems as if this Jesus thing ain't paying off. And I'm out. Ever been there? California in the 1920s, the city of Santa Barbara made a decision that would change things forever. Right on the heels of wave after wave of literal earthquakes and seeing the devastation and the havoc it wreaked on their buildings, the city of Santa Barbara released something and legislated a series of seismic codes. What seismic codes meant was was that now buildings had to be built To an extra standard. It is as if Santa Barbara says, let us now build buildings with the shaking in mind. Let's dig the foundation a little deeper. Let's fortify the buildings a little stronger. So that when the shaking comes, they won't be destroyed. In other words, Santa Barbara says, let's make sure our homes and our houses are built to last. Friends, I'm here to tell you that when you got saved... You were saved and your faith was constructed to some spiritual seismic codes. God the architect and the Holy Spirit the designer and Jesus the chief cornerstone has designed your faith so that no matter what it is you may go through, you may bend but you won't break because your faith has been built to last. Oh, right now, you ought to encourage yourself in the Lord. I'm built to last. You ought to send a text message to a friend and tell them, no matter what it is you're going through, you are built to last. I've come here to encourage you. You will more than make it through 2020. 2020 may feel like a Gordon Gartrell shirt. You may not know that reference, but two or three of us do. But we will get through to the other side and thrive because our faith, has been built to last. What does it look like to have a faith that's been built to last? Three things and I'm in my seat. The first thing is, if your faith is going to be built to last, if you're going to make it through 2020, if you're going to make it through COVID and all that 2020 has thrown at us, we must have, watch it now, first and foremost, a fixed foundation. A fixed foundation. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a group of individuals who are going through hell. They're barely holding on, and they are wondering, am I going to make it? I I don't know about this Jesus thing. The writer of Hebrews writes them to shore up their foundation. He writes them to get them to hang in there. In fact, the book of Hebrews can be summed up in five words. Jesus Christ is better than... It's his way of saying, listen, I want to get you back to the ABCs of your faith. And the ABCs of your faith, when you go through hard times, you must lift your eyes off your situation and remember your foundation. And your foundation is anchored in the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is better than He begins by saying in chapter 1 that Jesus Christ is better than the prophets. How is Jesus better than the prophets? Because prophets do what prophets do. Prophets prophesy. They tell you what's coming. But Jesus Christ is better than the prophets because while prophets prophesy, Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of their prophecy not only is Jesus better than the prophets he goes on to say in chapter 1 Jesus Christ is also better than the angels that's right he's better than Gabriel and he's better than Michael why because angels deliver messages but Jesus is the message not only is he better than the prophets and the angels but he goes on to say that Jesus Christ is better than Moses that legendary liberator and lawgiver Moses why Moses gave the law but Jesus fulfilled the law not only is Jesus better than the prophets and the angels and Moses but he goes on to say he's actually better than the Levitical priesthood prophets represent God to the people priests represent the people to God they're always coming to God on behalf of the people but Jesus didn't need a priest to represent him to God because Jesus is God not only is he better than the prophets and the angels and Moses and the Levitical priesthood, finally he finishes by saying that Jesus Christ is better than the old covenant. Under the old covenant, every time you sin, every time I sin, we had to run the whole paycheck, I mean whole foods, and we had to get a bull or a, or a lamb or a goat. Every time we lied, we were running back and forth to, to the temple, offering another sacrifice. I done told another lie. I done did something else selfish or greedy. Always offering sacrifices. Jesus Christ never had to bring a bull. He never had to bring a lamb. He never had to bring a goat. Why? He was the lamb. On a hill called Calvary, he offered himself, not a goat, not a lamb, not a bull, one time. For every sin we've ever committed, are committing, and will ever commit, it has been paid once and for all by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is better than. That's our foundation. If ever you come to San Francisco, I want to encourage you to eat at a place called International Smoke. It's owned and operated by Steph Curry's wife, Aisha Curry. Several weeks ago, my wife and I were on a date there in San Francisco on our way to International Smoke. And when you make your way to International Smoke, this wonderful restaurant, you will notice that right before the restaurant is the Millennium Tower. The Millennium Tower, it's a skyscraper and and it's a a building filled with condominiums. Not long after being built, uh, it was discovered that this building was beginning to lean. The building was beginning to lean. Uh, It caused a big mess. In fact, they're in litigation right now and the tenants are not happy because this building is starting to lean. I asked a friend of mine who's a builder and he's built a lot of buildings in downtown San Francisco. I said, explain to me, why is this building leaning? He smiled and said, now, Brian, you need to understand much of the city of San Francisco sits on landfill. That is, it sits on garbage. Beneath the landfill is bedrock. Everybody knows that when you build, in San Francisco, you got to drive that foundation through the landfill, through the garbage, and into the bedrock. The problem with the Millennium Tower, he said, is the builders didn't dig deep enough. They stopped at the landfill. And because they didn't hit bedrock, that building is now leaning. Oh, I'm looking at a lot of leaning Christians right now. Your foundation has not gone deep enough. You've built your life on the landfill of money and zip codes and status and health. None of that stuff is going to hold you up when the shaking happens. But if your life has been anchored in the bedrock of Jesus Christ, you may shake, but you will not break because you have been founded on the foundation of Jesus Christ. How am I built to last? Number one, I've got to have a fixed foundation, and our foundation is found in the bedrock of Jesus Christ. But secondly, he now talks about not just our foundation, but our focus. If you come to Hebrews chapter 12, right when he opens up, he begins by saying in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he says, I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to look to Jesus when my oldest was about two years old he couldn't pronounce his L's he would always exchange his L's for W's one day my two-year-old son is sitting on my lap and I'm in the tv room it's not my proudest moment as a dad I'm I'm trying to watch sports center while my two-year-old's trying to get my attention My face is over here and his face is over here and he's getting frustrated and finally he takes his two chubby hands and puts them on my face and turns my face to his face. He says, daddy, look at me, look at me, look at me. Some of y'all, you've been fixated on your circumstances and the author is saying, look at Jesus, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. Not only that, he goes on to verse 3 by saying, not just look at him, but he says, I need you to consider him. The Greek word for consider literally means to analyze, to scrutinize, to study, to stare deeply in. All of this and more. And then he comes to our text. In the middle of the shaking, he talks about God and Jesus Christ. He is calling us to readjust our focus from the fleeting situations and circumstances of this world and to fixate them on Christ. Why? Because whatever, friends, has your attention will have your attitude and your actions. That's tweetable. I'll give that to you again. Whatever has your attention will have your attitude and your actions as well. Some of y'all are struggling with joy. You can't struggle with joy and look at Jesus at the same time. Some of y'all are struggling with worry and anxiety. You can't struggle with worry and anxiety and look at Jesus at the same time. Why? Whatever has your attention will have your attitudes and actions as well. Come here, Peter. Peter, I think you need to testify. Come with me in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, Jesus is on the other side of Galilee, and he says to his disciples, get in this boat, row to the other side, and I'll meet you on the other side. These disciples get in the boat, and all of a sudden, a storm. Happens, And it must be a rough storm because remember, these individuals, many of them are fishermen and they have fished in the Sea of Galilee, which means they've experienced storms before. But this storm is a doozy because they are, they are just losing their minds. They are frantic and fearful and worrisome. But in the middle of the storm, Peter looks out and he sees a silhouette walking on the waves in the middle of the storm. He looks carefully and realizes it is Jesus walking on the very thing that is causing them to freak out. Oh, if I had some time. I'd come by and encourage you and say, nothing happens in your life that Jesus can't walk on. Nothing occurs in your life that he can't be sovereign over. Nothing happens in your life that surprises you or disturbs you or whatever that that Jesus cannot handle. He walks on the very things that freaks us out. In the middle of all this, Peter says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you. Jesus says, come on out. And I see Peter. He takes a couple of steps and boy, can't you see the smile on his face? He is Cupid shuffling across the ocean. He is making his way to Jesus. And all of a sudden it happens. The thunder flashes a little more. The lightning flashes a little brighter. The waves crest a little higher. And he takes his, li- his eyes off of Jesus and begins to sink under the very thing he was walking on because he lost his focus I travel a lot uh, at least I did until COVID hit I don't lost my frequent flyer status but whenever I'm on an airplane most of the times you can count on turbulence whenever turbulence hits the airplane I'm on I don't know about you but the first thing I do is I look at the flight attendants if they're still serving cokes and biscoff cookies in the middle of turbulence I'm good But Lord have mercy, don't let them put their carts up, get in their seats, strap on, and get a terrified look on their face like we ain't never felt this before. Now I'm freaking out. Why? Because whatever has your attention will have your attitudes and your actions. Friends, you need to understand that Jesus has never had a freaked out look on his face. That when Jesus, oftentimes we see him in a boat in the middle of a storm asleep. Jesus is asleep while we up popping Maylocks and worrying. <laughs> friends, if you just look at Jesus, if he has your focus, you will be built to last. Let me say this final thing before I move on, round third and head for home. Could it be, friends, that God has gifted us with this season of, folk, of, of COVID so that we would be more focused on him? What do you mean by that? For most of us, our lives have slowed down during this season. We've had more time at home. We ain't battling traffic anymore. Many of you, maybe you were on airplanes all the time, and I'm guessing your travel got cut down. God has slowed us down so that maybe we might focus more attentively on him. My prayer, friends, is that when this season is over, you do not go back to life exactly as it was, but that we would be people of committed focus on Christ. Finally, as we round third and head for home, he ends by saying, look at these words in verse 28, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving, watch it now, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God, watch it now, not just worship, but acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I'm in my seat. How will we make it to the other side? How will we be built to last? How will we not just survive, but thrive? We've got to give God and make sure he's our fixed foundation. We have to give him our focus. But finally, we have to give him acceptable worship. Forgive me, I couldn't find an F, so my alliteration is incomplete. But I hope you'll forgive me. We have to give him not just worship, but acceptable worship. Here is Peter, he's writing to a group of Jews, excuse me, the writer here, it's not Peter, he's writing to a group of Jews. And these Jews were used to worshipping. In fact, if you understand anything about Jews in the Old Testament, they were always worshipping. Always going back and forth from the temple on high and holy days and offering sacrifices. Always sitting up in synagogues. Here were individuals, many of these Jews had memorized the Torah or the Pentateuch. We would know them as the first five books of the Bible. They memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus, Leviticus numbers. In Deuteronomy, they memorized this. The average Jew gave over 18.2% of their annual income to the Lord. These were worshiping people. And yet, all throughout the Old Testament, God says, I got a problem with Israel. I desire obedience better than sacrifice. For all your memorizing, for all your sacrificing, for all your synagogue attendance, for all your temple attendance, I reject that. Because sacrifice without obedience is not acceptable worship. Friends, is that you? Maybe you're going, I've been writing tithe checks. While shacking up, maybe I've been coming to church while living and lying. Maybe I've been serving in ministry while being a gossip and talking about people like a dirty dog. God rejects that. That's not acceptable worship. Acceptable worship is not just tithing and the form of religion, it is a lifestyle that walks in obedience. And when I walk in obedience, my foundation is fixed. Oh, you need some Bible. As Jesus is rounding out his Sermon on the Mount, he gives this telling illustration. He says, listen now, Matthew 7, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine, he says, and does not do them disobedience, will be like a foolish person who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Watch it. Both homes go through the same shaking, the same circumstances. One collapses and the other stands. Why? Not just the foundation, not just the focus, but one's obedient and the other is disobedience. If you want to be built to last, friends, we've got to be people who walk in obedience. And when we fail, not if we fail, when we fail, Oh, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, not to hold a grudge, but to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is how we're built to last. On October 17th, 1989, the Loma Prieta earthquake rocked the San Francisco Bay, even stopping the World Series. It was a 6.9 Rector earthquake in which over 63 people were killed and just under 4,000 individuals were injured. I discovered that one of the members of my church there in the Bay Area was actually in a huge skyscraper in downtown Oakland, several stories up, when the earthquake hit. When he told me this, my curiosity was piqued. Tell me about that experience. He says, Pastor, I was having a meeting with another individual in his office. When all of a sudden, the skyscrapers started to shake. And my friend started to weep and freak out uncontrollably. He said, I don't want to picture myself as being calm, cool, and collected. I was very concerned. But I wasn't freaking out the way this guy was. Finally, the shaking stopped. The earthquake was over. And, and this guy's friend pulled himself together. This guy's friend looked at the member of my church who was in the room with them. He says, man, what's wrong with you? My friend says, what do you mean? Why weren't you freaking out? Didn't you feel the shaking? Why weren't you freaking out? Weren't you concerned for your life? My friend says, no. Don't you understand? I was one of the builders of this building. I was there when we poured the foundation. I was there when we constructed the steel beams. I knew that this building had been built to last. Oh, friends, 2020, we've been shaken back and forth. We've been rocked by a whole bunch of stuff. But when you understand who built your life, when you understand who constructed your faith, you will be calm, cool, and collected because you might bend, but you will not break. You have been built to last. Friends, you will make it through. You will get to the other side. I'm well aware that some of you have been tuning in, you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ. Friends, could it be that God has allowed you to go through the hell you've been through this year, so that you would lift up your eyes into the hills, from whence cometh your help, knowing your help doesn't come from the letters behind your name, your help doesn't come from your social network, your help doesn't come from your money or your job or your career or your car's. Your help comes from the Lord. Friends, today you can be saved. Paul writes in Romans 10, if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, we will be saved. Right there in your home, in your living room, in your car, in your hotel room, wherever you may be, you can have a life and a faith that's built to last. If you're saying, I'm I'm ready to take that step, I want to pray for you right now. And then someone's going to come and, and tell you the next step you can take. But would you just pray this simple prayer with me? Dear God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. God, I confess that I, like everyone else in this world, including the preacher, am a sinner. I've blown it. I invite you now to come into my life by the person of your Holy Spirit. Clean me up. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer, you've just started the best journey of your life, where Jesus is the cornerstone of your faith, and you're built to last. God bless you.